0: This podcast is brought to you by BMJ Best Practice. BMJ Best Practice offers evidence-based, continually updated and practical knowledge that will help you make better clinical decisions.
1: Hello and welcome to this BMJ Best Practice podcast on rheumatoid arthritis. Kieran Walsh is my name. I'm Clinical Director at BMJ. Rheumatoid arthritis is seen in around one to two percent of any population in which it has been studied. If treated early and aggressively, the prognosis is good. But if there are delays, then patients may become disabled within five or 10 years. So early diagnosis and management is vital. To tell us how to achieve this, we have on the line Professor Yusuf Yazici, who is Clinical Associate Professor of Medicine at New York University School of Medicine. And importantly, Yusuf is author of our BMJ best practice topic on this condition. So Yusuf, you're welcome. Let's start off by asking you what exactly is rheumatoid arthritis? Uh,
0: Thank you. So rheumatoid arthritis is the most common systemic inflammatory arthritis uh, that rheumatologists treat. And it's a disease that involves mostly the small joints of the hands and feet but it can also involve larger joints in a certain percentage of patients. I called it systemic because it doesn't only involve the joints, but it can cause problems in other organs such as the lungs and the eyes and the blood vessels if not treated uh, correctly and appropriately.
1: Okay, moving to diagnosis. What do you think is the most important thing to remember about the diagnosis of rheumatoid arthritis?
0: What we've learned over the last 10 to 15 years is that early diagnosis in rheumatoid arthritis is key. We have this, what we call the window of opportunity, which, depending on what study you look at, is somewhere between the first six months to a year after the symptoms start, that if we can start disease-modifying treatment, we're able to stop the progression of the disease and prevent, if not all, most of all long-term problems that can happen from rheumatoid arthritis. So as rheumatologists and primary care uh, providers, the important thing is recognizing that the patient's joint pains, joint swelling, morning stiffness, and various other manifestations are due to rheumatoid arthritis early and start the appropriate treatment.
1: Okay, and are there any recent advances in diagnosis?
0: Uh, Yes, so about 10 years ago, we, uh, rheumatologists, have developed uh, a new diagnostic set of criteria uh, for recognizing rheumatoid arthritis earlier. Previously, the 1987 uh, criteria were used, but those were based on patients who had already progressed disease, things such as joint erosions on x-rays, something called rheumatoid nodules, which are vasculitic lesions, which was recognized that we don't really see as much anymore because of the different treatments and different options that we have that really seem to work well. So the effort was made to develop criteria that can recognize these patients earlier in their disease. So the new criteria, the 2010 criteria, focuses on numbers of joints that are involved, the types of joints, small joints, large joints, has a couple of Uh, blood tests that can be markers for more aggressive disease, such as the rheumatoid factor or anti-CCP ACPA antibodies. And uh, the one thing that has stayed constant between the two sets of criteria is the duration of the symptoms. Things that are less than six weeks in duration usually are not rheumatoid arthritis. They're self-limiting. But if something has been going on more than six weeks, I think rheumatoid arthritis has to be on the top of the uh, potential diagnosis
1: okay and anti-ccp is is relatively new tell us more about that if you can
0: so uh that's correct that was discovered about 20 years ago or so to be related to uh, the diagnosis of rheumatoid arthritis before that we had the rheumatoid factor over the last 50 years and it seems like the uh the prevalence of rheumatoid factor positivity in patients is about 70%. So 70% of rheumatoid arthritis patients are what we call seropositive, 30% roughly are seronegative. It turned out that in those patients who were seronegative, a certain percentage have this anti-CCP antibody. So if you combine the both of them, it's above 80-85% of patients who have this positivity, which by itself doesn't really diagnose the disease, but given the right clinical setting with the signs and symptoms of the joint pains and the types of joints that are swollen and involved, can really help with uh, confirming the diagnosis. One more uh, use that these antibodies have found, especially the anti-CCP, is that they are markers for potentially poorer prognosis. Patients who have anti-CCP usually tend to have more joints involved. They tend to have more joint erosions if not treated. They require more medications and combinations than those who don't have the antibody. So they could be used, uh, they're not definitive, but they could be used as potential prognostic markers and help us in how aggressive we're going to be when we're treating our patients.
1: Thank you, that's very helpful, very clear. Um, Tell us about common pitfalls in diagnosis. What are the common mistakes that are made, would you say?
0: Uh, That's a very good question. The rheumatoid arthritis, even though we have these two tests, as I mentioned, up to a quarter of people might not have them. The rest of it is based on signs and symptoms, which can be mimicked by other types of arthritic conditions. The things that commonly happen are, for example, psoriatic arthritis. Patients might have five to ten joints involved. Usually it's the similar smaller joints of the hands and feet. Uh, Early in the course, if they don't have a skin lesion yet, then it's harder to differentiate them. Some viral parvovirus types of arthritis can cause a very similar picture to rheumatoid arthritis, but the duration is usually limited. However, if the patient comes in the first two weeks with intense joint pain and swelling, it's very hard to differentiate them. Then we check for uh, viral antibodies and such, and then help uh, differentiate that. More, less common diseases such as lupus, uh, other vasculitic conditions can have joint involvement, and those can at least until the other signs and symptoms of these conditions make, them, uh, make themselves apparent, might be hard to differentiate from rheumatoid arthritis. So sometimes, uh, not a wait and see, but treat and wait type of an approach might be utilized. So we should still treat the arthritis to prevent potential damage, but be open to the fact that uh, patient's diagnosis might change and then we'll of course switch the treatment. But uh, in the short term, no harm seems to be done by treating patients, just making sure the inflammation is under control.
1: Okay, thank you, that's, that's very helpful. Let's move on to management. What would you say is the most important thing to remember about the management of patients with the rheumatoid?
0: Um, first thing I would say again is the early diagnosis and starting the treatment early. We know that patients within six to 12 months of starting medications uh, do tend to do very well and have the highest chance of going into remission and staying in remission. Now, this is usually uh, remission with, by while being on drug, but in about 10 to 15%, there is also the opportunity to stop the drugs and the patient starts and stays in remission. The standard of care, the, what we call the anchor drug for rheumatoid arthritis treatment is methotrexate. All uh, studies just using methotrexate compared to older agents that we had, compared to newer biologic agents we have shows that methotrexate should be the first drug that the patients use. About 50% pa- or so of patients, methotrexate will be enough by itself. However, the rest have some response to methotrexate, but not enough, or no response. In those patients, which we usually assess anywhere between three to six months, because we will know by six months if a patient is going to respond to methotrexate or not, at that time, without losing more time, we usually add another agent to metatrexate. And over the last 10 to 15 years, studies have shown that probably the best options to add to metatrexate are what we call the biologic agents, which we have at least in the U.S. approved about 10, 12 of them, and in various parts of the world they're up to 8 to 10. And these biologic agents seem to work much better when they're combined with metatrexate versus when they're used alone the place to use the biologics alone would be if the patients can't tolerate methotrexate or they develop side effects while they're on methotrexate. Otherwise, the treatment should be methotrexate alone in those who have inadequate response Add a biologic agent to methotrexate.
1: Okay, thank you. And and let's move on to pitfalls in management. What are the common mistakes, would you say, in, in management?
0: So, anything that delays the starting of disease modifying drugs would be the most common, probably. So, patients come in, they can either self medicate with anti inflammatory, non steroid anti inflammatories such as naproxen and things like that over the counter, which helps their symptoms but doesn't change the underlying damage that's happening. In some places, steroids are used very commonly early on, and high dose steroids can stop all the symptoms and the patient feels better, but it really doesn't do anything to the underlying symptomatology. So there could be a lot of time lost as the patient tries to self-medicate, the doctor tries a, a steroid or an anti-inflammatory, the patient feels better, they come back in three months, same thing is done, then we're losing time. The most important thing is once the diagnosis is set, to start metatrexate or similar as soon as we can. The other thing is <clears throat> that Because it is a clinical diagnosis, unlike, let's say, hypertension, where we can check the patient's blood pressure and know how good a control we have of the disease, there isn't one measure that we can check in rheumatoid arthritis that tells us how the patients are doing. So both the American College of Rheumatology and European League Against Rheumatism have developed composite indices which utilize both patient measures such as patient pain, patient function. Physician measures such as joint counts, tender and swollen joint counts, and some of them utilize lab tests, inflammatory markers such as ESR or CRP. We should use these as part of our routine management so we can document objectively how far the patient has improved in all of these domains. So then we'll know it's time to increase the dose of a medication, switch to another medication, or add another medication. To better control the domains that are not improving
1: okay thank you that's very very clear last question um, which is a question about questions what what have we missed what other common questions are you asked by doctors about rheumatoid arthritis
0: the most common i would say is it's these are very clear let's say recommendations for when the patients are early in their treatment on average patients are diagnosed in their early 50s So they live with the disease about 20, 25 years at least, which means there will be a lot of changes in the long-term in their treatments. I think what we have learned uh, over the last 10 to 15 years with all the long-term and large follow-up studies of rheumatoid arthritis patients is that we need to have a low threshold for switching patients from one drug to another. I think we do them harm The more we keep a patient on a drug just because it used to work, doesn't really mean two two years down the road it's going to have the same efficacy. If the patient with these measures that I mentioned are losing efficacy, we should switch to another drug. Switching between drugs have been shown to work very well in rheumatoid arthritis patients. And now we have, as I mentioned, 12 to 14 options that we can go over. Most of them work at least up to two years. that gives us a very good armamentarium of things to cover the whole duration of the disease. I think the most important thing is that the patient, this disease doesn't burn out. There used to be the concept that rheumatoid arthritis burns out over time. We now know that it doesn't. So it requires aggressive treatment all throughout its course to prevent the long-term damage that can happen.
1: Thank you very much, Yusuf. And thanks to you all for listening. We hope that this has been helpful. And we hope you'll be able to put what you've learned into action to better diagnose and manage affected patients. If you want to find out more, click the link in the podcast to sign into BMJ Best Practice and look at the content on this and other relevant diseases. Thank you once again.